tap your little toes. Oh, oh, I want to know. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Thinking Pilates podcast. I am here with my beautiful, sweet, and thoughtful co-host, Deborah Colway. Hi, Deborah. Hi, Chantiel. Um, it is a very exciting episode, uh, although I find that I say that almost every time. Um, but it really is this time because we have two special guests joining us to um, carry on a conversation that Deborah and I started last episode about missed opportunities. Um, and, and perhaps more appropriately, it would have been called um, not missing opportunities, right? How to grab, how to open and, and see opportunities in our teaching. So we're joined today with um, two teachers from the Skillful Teaching Mentoring Program, and I'm honored to have you both here. Thank you for your time. Julie Lenoka and Pam Hess. Julie is here in Sacramento with me, and we met last summer, and um, it's been a pleasure working with her over the last 10 months or so. And um, Pam Hess, I recently met in Indiana early in the year during a whirlwind tour of workshops, which was so awesome. Just very, very excited to have you in our program and on the call today. Ladies, I'm going to let you introduce yourselves so we can uh, move into this conversation with a little bit of a sense of who you are and where you're coming from. So Julie, would you mind starting us off? Sure. My name is Julie Lenoka, and I came to Pilates as a student. Um, I was working at a kitchen design um, business in Concord, New Hampshire, and there's not a lot of Pilates there, but um, it, I was working in a, in a pretty um, tense environment, and my boss actually started paying for us to go to Pilates um, because of all the muscle tension that we had in the work that we did. And I just um, found it hugely helpful in, in my fixing my migraines because I was able to lose a lot of tension in my traps and stuff. And my horseback riding also improved dramatically. So, you know, very early on, I became very interested in this method of um, exercise. And it was working on my body in a way that I had never I had never experienced before. And the teacher I was working with at the time, um, Linda Oaks, she asked me if I would like to become a teacher and teach in her studio. And she had done all her training in New York. So I started going to New York with her and on my own and started um, doing Linda Farrell's um, Linda Fit Pilates. She does a mat training class, and she was a student of Romana's. And then I also went to Connected, which is another studio in New York, and their um, their focus is very uh, rehab oriented. Um, I think the the studio is owned by a physician and a physical therapist, um, but they run a wonderful anatomy program called FAMI. That's a four day um, anatomy program at Mount Sinai Hospital that I urge everyone to try to go to because it's four days at Mount Sinai um, in their anatomy lab with their anatomy instructors. So I got this wonderful background in anatomy and um, therapeutic Pilates and mostly contemporary Pilates until I moved to Sacramento. And when I moved to Sacramento about almost three years ago now, I started um, 
kind of reintroduce myself to, to some training through the balanced body education model and um, just have been finding that wonderfully um, a, a wonderfully expansive addition to my training. I, I hadn't really done a lot of training on reformer before, so I'm sort of being introduced to the equipment in a new way. And um, I've just found that Northern California is a wonderful resource for lots of teachers. Um, I, I work with a guy named James Crater. Um, I, I work out at his studio. And here in, uh, in Sacramento, I work at Humani, which is another balanced body studio. And um, I go to San Francisco and take classes with at different studios there. So I feel like my my exposure to Pilates has been pretty broad, um, and it, and it's it's very exciting. And it's it's really uh, such a gift to have you with us today, Julie, because I think you offer a unique perspective um, as a new teacher, uh, as a very um, curious and diligent thinker. And um, just want to uh, share that the work Julie has been observing and doing some work, um, and correct me, Julie, if I'm wrong, but with a man who is a quadriplegic. quadriplegic. Yeah, no, quadriplegic. So he does not have use of his hands. His, um, his injury is at C4. And, um, yeah, he has is in a Pilates program down in Lafayette at the Absolute Center, but he lives here in Sacramento, so he works also works with James, mm -hmm. and I volunteer and do some work with him mm -hmm. once a week, trying to help him specifically get some hand function back. Mm -hmm. And then Julie, Julie is also working on kind of a long-term vision of um, bringing movement, and uh, she's also a writer, and bringing movement and writing to... Specifically, women who've been sex trafficked. You know, I think that it's a it's a huge problem in our country that people don't really know about, and the trauma that's that's you know happens from from having that horrible experience mm -hmm. is, is really deep. And mm -hmm. I'm I'm very interested in how the brain and the body work together to mm -hmm. heal from trauma. Yeah. Yeah, great. Wonderful. Yeah, so all, all really important things, I think, to kind of frame our conversation. So thank you for taking the time to introduce yourself with such depth. I appreciate it. Um, Pam, how about you? Sure. Um, so my name is Pam Hess, and um, I actually recently moved to Indianapolis um, last July from Gainesville, Florida, which is where I started my Pilates path um, and my journey there. Um, I was introduced to the Pilates realm essentially through a gym, a fitness club, and thought it was really cool because I love fitness and I was a mom of two and wanted to start kind of doing something on my own and but not overcommit so I could still be a mama and be able to help raise my kids. Um, so weekend warrior workshops of a uh, Pilates reformer. Um, education, and I thought that was, I thought I, boom, I was a Pilates instructor. I thought it was really cool. Well, <laughs> I soon began to realize there was more to this, and I just intuitively knew there was something deeper. I wasn't, I didn't get this. I didn't feel comfortable. I actually didn't feel like it was safe to teach. So I started investing a little bit more of my time and effort in the community where I lived in Gainesville and found a wonderful studio called Evolve Pilates. And truly is the best kept secret in that little town, that college town. 
and started taking classes and knew immediately, holy cow, I was in the wrong place, you know, over there. I needed, I needed to get this information because I just was, it just was like a totally different experience. And so, it, of course, it drove my passion because I was a teacher and I have this, compa- you know, this compassion for people and I want to help people. It's, it's just the way the gifts that I've been given that I started investing a little bit more effort into how do I how do I become a better you know student as well as how do I how do I become this teacher that I'm envisioning myself as and they actually have a wonderful Pilates um, comprehensive um, curriculum that they train people and it's very small but it's well written and um, I went through their little schooling and did great um, you know didn't know exactly what I you know, couldn't I couldn't believe I, I had gone through that weekend and then had gone through almost a year of training, um, and then sat for the PMA and felt confident enough to, okay, well let's go ahead and make this all happen and um, started building my little practice there and on a part time basis. One of the things that I absolutely have always loved was the aha moment that I had started I started seeing in my clients when they. They, they got sort of that connection, that mind-body connection, and that to me was what has always kept driving me back to the mat or the reformer or the Cadillac, is how can I help these people understand that this movement applies to their life in so many levels, and because that's how I saw it personally. Um, I could finish triathlons and you know, continue with my running because I can do, you know, because the Pilates, it, it prevented me from injury majority of the time. I mean, it's still, you know, everyone's probably to have some bumps in the road. But um, I know that it has helped me sustain overall a healthy, functional body. Um, still working on it and will always and forever will and know that. And that's what I keep telling my clients. Um, and this is a life, this is a lifestyle that you need to choose to, you know, dedicate yourself to. Um, so... Through our move, um, it has allowed me coming up here to kind of hit the reset button, and my path crossed with Gentile, and I really was at a point in my my little teaching career, I guess, that I wanted to take this to a different path where I could make it more of a healing path and really focus on why am I teaching this, and I'm so grateful to you, Gentile, and the Regenerative Program that has helped me just hone in on my purpose and that's what I'm pretty fired up about right now in my current teaching um, position is that I have identified my purpose and it may change but at least I know where I'm going mm-hmm. because there for a while I just taught but I didn't understand why I was really teaching and that's the part where I'm, I'm still I'm at and I'm excited about moving forward with that because I know there's going to be um, some definition and some direction that's going to lead to some great opportunities for me here in this community that is a very yoga-heavy community. So I feel like I could help bring some, um, you know, just some more, you know, education to the community about what Pilates is. Not that yoga is bad. It's just I think it led. I think of it kind of like peanut butter and jelly. Yes, or you need both. You know. So, <laughs> I mean, and so this is this is a very green community, and um, I'm excited about being in a, in a new environment to, you know, share my purpose and hopefully help people move better here.
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and you're also uh, trained in gyrotonics, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, I am currently. I'm almost finished. I'm in my apprenticeship and had to take a little um, detour with that since my move. I have found a wonderful master instructor over in Cincinnati. I've been working with her, so hopefully in the fall I'll be done with that, and which has been great because I think it's been a nice complement to my body's practice and understanding bone rhythm and spinal movement and where does this all come from, and um, it, it's just it's just enriched my practice. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's so great. Uh, when I met Pam, what we were working on, I had presented an extension workshop in Indiana and um, we she had missed it but we did a lot of the work in our one-on-one and <laughs> oh it was so great it was just like one of those perfect moments uh, which I think is such it's a defining moment for me in terms of knowing you Pam because we were working on this uh, this stuff, this kind of p- pattern of things and moving the sacrum and moving the pelvis and squatting and, and all leading to improving back bending. And we went through this whole process of, uh, you know, intentional process of trying to get the body organized in a, in a better and better and better way. And at the end when we did kind of our, our last check-in, I remember, and we've got it on video, Pam, I remember she went into a, like a low, like a low swan, like a swan prep and goes up and up and up and just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. And she turns to me, she goes, what the heck? (laughs) And it was just like, it was, it was just a defining moment in like, oh my gosh, this woman is so curious and excited. It was just like this, this innocent, you know, exuberance and uh I've continued to experience that with you and and really appreciate that about your perspective I think it again frames this this conversation that we're about to have so let's get to it shall we um so what we're talking about specifically is about discernment so the process of discerning for ourselves how to teach what perspective to teach from talking about our purpose, as Pam has mentioned, the why for teaching and our priorities in terms of what we want our students to achieve. So that's the macro view. That's the larger view that we we hold as teachers. And hopefully we're holding that view with clarity and um, in a very explicit way, although I don't think that's always happening. Um, it, hopefully this conversation will bring that to light for, for many of you who are listening the macro view is something uh, along the lines of how we can, as teachers, be open to what's in front of us without just repeating what we've heard before from our teachers. I think this is really the jumping off point, Deborah, from, from our last conversation about missed opportunities. So it's, it's like there's a moment or a time when we can begin to ask ourselves why uh, we're doing something the way that we're doing it and allow our own experience and knowledge to dictate the decisions that we make in teaching and infuse our understanding of the body as opposed to just continuing to unconsciously or not mimic the teachers that have imparted their knowledge upon us. And so I think before we jump in, well, actually, let me just ask you, Deborah, if you have anything you want to add to where we're going today. Well, I've been taking notes while I'm listening to everybody talk, and it's very 
inspiring, by the way, Pam and Julie, mm-hmm. listening to both of you. And um, it makes me think how far we've all come in our industry mm-hmm. to even be having this conversation because, and to have such richness already, <laughs> you know, before we've even gotten into the questions. Because <laughs> um, it's kind of like... Uh, I can remember a time when we didn't really talk about these things. I mean, there wasn't a question of whether to teach what you... We weren't encouraged particularly to um, explore our own experience all that much. Mm-hmm. And um, it's... Uh, yeah, I, I'm kind of just really happy right now listening <laughs> to the two of you and just realizing that this whole next generation of teachers coming up, it's almost like, um, how do I say this, from a, there's a richness and a fullness of, um, like the intention of, of knowing ourselves and being with people in a different way, um, you know, kind of starting to break down the, that wall between teacher and student a little bit, or mm-hmm. teacher and client, you know, and uh, it, that's the feeling that I'm getting um, from listening to this, and so I just wanted to say that uh, I have questions to ask both of you once we start the question part, but I mean, I, I don't know if you realize that in a way, in your own introductions, you touched on many of the many of the topics or the the points that that Chantel and I have been talking about. So mm-hmm. it's, it's in the air and it's <laughs> wonderful. Yeah, so you know that's what I wanted to say. Yeah, great. Thank you, Deborah. You know, let's start with just a question, which is like this: Is there a moment that you can recall? beginning to question what you were taught if if there if you can think of a moment where that where you recognize like oh this is so interesting i think i'm going to say it a different way i think i'm going to tweak it a little i think i'm going to change the focus i'm going to change the breath because that's what my experience tells me that's what this body tells me that's what my own intuition tells me and how fascinating that it's different than what, one, I've been doing, and two, I've been told how to do the thing. So can you recall a moment where there, there was, a, there was a, um, an awareness? I, that's the question. I think let's just stop there. I could add on a second part, but I think let's just start there. So I'm going to start with Pam. Um, <laughs> what do you think? What do you think about that? You know, it's that's a, I knew you would ask me. Um, <laughs> um, I it's funny because I really, I really, I have, and I think one of the things, and I'll be very specific about it, but it's links. When I started realizing if I could cue links. You know, and because I feel like there's always this hold, and there's always this 
connect and da 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 da. You know, I always felt like that was what was told to me. You got to connect this. You got to pull this. You got to da da da. And it's like as soon as I said, okay, I want you to get a little taller, or I want you to feel how you can really push those feet into the floor and really lengthen the head up to the sky. All of a sudden, it changed. Or see if you can broaden the the, the collarbones a little wider. And I think. As soon as I started cueing link in my clients, um, there is a sense of freedom and maybe perhaps um, some relief, you know, that I saw with them and also within myself because mm. then I felt like, holy cow, they're going to be okay and they're going to, I'm giving them sort of permission to move and not feeling so constricted. And I think this is where a little bit of gyrotonic has helped me kind of be okay to move in some sense with control. But, um, I, um, I really feel like that's kind of what, what's happened. And, um, it's, it's liberating to see that. And like I said, for both the client and myself, and I, and I, and I, I like the way it makes me feel. And I know that it makes them feel good because then it, makes them move better so I don't know I hope that's kind of I hope that's what you're looking for yeah so my question to that which is the piggyback would be is mm -hmm. that different than what you were taught do you feel like that was a that was an acknowledgement of your own experience and intuition and you really felt like you were infusing your teaching with this level of like I would call that discerning if it, if it were like Oh, this is this is a piece I want to focus on. I want to make this a priority, whereas perhaps that was not focused on or made a priority in the same kind of way. Like where you feel like you, just having this like of maybe feeling just a little bit like a little woo woo this evening, but like uh -huh. a, like a flower unfurling one petal. It's like here I am. I am yeah. a teacher in and of myself, unique and individual, and this is this is how I'm going to express myself now. This is my priority. This is what I feel like is important. So do you feel like it, it was something that came uh, from your training or something that you really moved into based on some other personal interior experience? I think it was, it's the latter because mm -hmm. I think through my training, um, and I was just trying to remember, you know, is that there was so much, um, instruction with regards to placement of the body mm -hmm. and then movement once you were there a certain way. So I, and, they, and I completely get the idea of good instruction and getting them, getting people to understand how, you know, how the exercise is supposed to go. But I felt like there was, it was too, um, what I was taught initially, too much restriction there. Uh -huh. um, and very rote. Let's put it that way. Yes, yes. Um, so, you know, and so when I started cueing link and finding space mm. and then move, you know, that I think it's helped, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so, yeah. and, it's, and it's only because I've had to experience that personally. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. I started thinking, well, maybe that's kind of what they're feeling. And then to kind of, you know, sharing that with mm -hmm. people that need it because, you know, and then there's some people who probably need to be reeled in a little bit too, because they maybe move a little too much. Right, so, right. But yeah. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Um, Deborah, do you have anything, any clarifying question or anything for Pam? Well, I'm glad I'm 
I appreciate the answer. The idea of um, setting the body up first, being very clear about setting the body, and then moving as if they're separate. Mm-hmm. I have to watch out that I don't just start talking right now. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think that's an amazing distinction. And um, I'm just going to say thank you for that. Because, yes, and I don't think I have any more questions regarding that. Um, yeah, let's hold on to that though, Deborah, because I yeah. think that that is a, a a really beautiful example of being discerning, of uh, being able to acknowledge or recognize on some level, uh, you know, in this spectrum of conscious to unconscious, uh, you know, discernment between the difference, right? Some so so some intuitive knowing on Pam's part to know that there is there is a difference between move, you know, arrange and then move versus just move. So let's, I would love to come back to that. Um, uh, somebody's got some jazz music playing in the background. Is that okay? My husband's playing saxophone. No, I love it. I came upstairs. It's fantastic. Uh, we were like, we're being okay. serenaded. Okay, okay. I love I had, it. I, I, I love it. a little away, but the house is small. No, I love I, it. I like having a soundtrack. No, it's fantastic. <laughs> I forgot your husband was a musician, Deborah. I missed him that night when we were there last summer. Yeah. Um, okay, Julie, what do you think about this question? Well, I mean, it's so fascinating. It's just, um, you know, I I think that um, I agree with him in the sense that while the cue to lengthen the spine is a, a cue that's, you know, used fairly often, I think that um, I'm not sure that it is emphasized enough in in the actual training, and I'm I'm and it's the one that resonates with me the most. Like when I when I feel like I don't know where to go with somebody, I always feel like I can go back to well, lengthen your spine, mm-hmm. and that's almost always a good idea. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think that in terms of an aha moment of okay, this is different. I feel differently than what I learned. I wouldn't say it was one thing, but I think that I have kind of felt like I wonder about the the emphasis on flexion in a lot of the the classical work um, because you know I, I think and I think part of my experience was based on one of the first students I had and I had her twice a week for about two years as a as a one-on-one student, she had severe osteoporosis, mm-hmm. so we could do no no flexion mm-hmm. at all. And she was a very fragile person, so I had to really think hard about coming up with um, lots of different ways to keep her moving in different planes and not have her flex at all. And, you know, just looking at the bodies in the world that are walking around out there right now, um, including, you know, my 25-year-old son. And his fiance, I mean, everybody is so hunched forward. And mm-hmm. I just feel like maybe it, they, there should be more emphasis on extension work. And, you know, can we strengthen the abdominals and the back by doing more, like, you know, pulling straps rather than hundreds curved, you mm-hmm. know, in, in a flexion, like mm-hmm. in super flexion. So that, that's kind of something I've been thinking about a lot when I'm working out myself and when I'm watching other people work out is, um, you know, the, 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 work, the method works really well. But I think bodies have changed a lot since, 
since Joseph Pilates, you know, created this work. Um, and I just wonder how that might be reflected in in the method. Mm-hmm. I guess I guess that's what I want to say. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's um, it starts to pull back a little bit. I think you know. Um, from Pam's experience of being a, a very, a very deep micro perspective to this starts to pull back just a little bit. I think in examining what the method is uh, doing, right? How we're, how we're utilizing it, um, how we're applying it, what does it do and what, and then we have some sense of there's a need. What, what's the need, you know? And sometimes we're driven to that question based on who, where we are geographically, certainly, um, what studio, what environment we're teaching in, you know, who's our, who's our audience, uh, very specifically, I think we can be drawn to that specific question more or less. Um, but it's, it's also, I think a bigger picture kind of question, right. Of, of how do we take this beautiful thing, this method, and we go, yes. And, right? Yes, it's well balanced. Uh-huh. Right. And yes, you know, my, my mentor, my teacher, Carol Appel used to always tell me, uh, because I'm, I'm, I'm a, you know, not only, um, almost defiantly curious, but, uh, also, um, always looking for like, if nothing is ever enough. So I have this kind of this desire to always know more, which I'm sure that you all can relate to. And you folks listening, um, but she said she would say to me, "The method is enough. Like if you just do yeah. it and you do it well and you do it with thoughtfulness and you do it consistently, it's enough. It's just enough." And and I would say it's enough, and it could be better, or we could do more, or we could customize it, or we could um, uh, alter it, change it, modify it, which we do, I think, but. Um, and this certainly comes around to the conversation that Deborah and I, I would say, we're having last time in our last episode, but have had frequently. And, and I would like to maybe just um, push it over to you, Deborah, to see um, what you're making of this in, in particular relation, relating to the method being enough and that, that moment of like questioning or discerning for oneself um, is it, is it everything or do we change it or do we add to it? Or, you know, I think Deborah, your perspective is unique too, because your, your history and exposure to Eve, um, who had a very different approach than what I would call the classic approach. Not initially. I mean, she was very, she was trained one-on-one by Joseph Pilates. Mm-hmm. And um, I think what most people think of is when they think of Eve, they think of when she was elderly, yes. down in Santa Fe, Correct, and doing yeah. the, you know, more her therapeutic healing work, which is when I met her too. Yeah. But when she was a younger woman, and uh, you know, dancing professionally and choreographing in New York, I mean, she did. She did the Pilates that Joseph Pilates taught her. Right. <laughs> as classic as it gets. <laughs> That's about as classic as it gets. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and certainly, um, certainly there was an emphasis that we've backed, a lot of us have backed, backed away from, you know, the navel to spine, spine to mat, 
uh, instruction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm hesitating. I don't. I don't really want to get into a conversation around the flexion issue. I think it's a larger conversation. But in terms of uh, maybe my own um, input regarding discernment, I think there's there was a point for me in teaching the Pilates method where a light went on. You know, there's a lot of um, quotes or things that are said about the method or, you know, interpretations of what we think Joseph Pilates himself said or what people who knew him said he said. (laughs) And um, one of the, and I, you know, I've contemplated these, trying to make sense of them for myself over many, many years, one of them being um, natural human movement. This is natural human movement. And um, I just sort of held that for all these years. And I I know there was a certain point when I thought, okay, I really have to make sense of this for myself. And um, I just started to look at the method, look kind of through it, like through a lens or something, and make sense of it for myself in the sense that all of the movements, the movement patterns, the exercises, if you will, are, if you distill them down, they're based on developmental movement patterning. And so um, when I, so for myself, what I chose to think is how can I interpret all of this how can I interpret this and help people get the movements back that they don't have anymore? So that, like, we're a human structure, we have this design, and when we respect that design <clears throat> and take it in as many different ways, when we utilize the function of our body as fully as possible, depending on our level of capability, you know, at any point in our life, or any day of the week, um, then it it works better for us. Mm-hmm. You know, so you have to understand what that design is. And then, so it's not about, to me, it's not whether, you know, flexion, less flexion, more flexion, more extension, etc. It's more, what movements does this person still have well in their body and what movements have they lost for whatever reason? Where are they held, where are they braced, where did they, where have they stopped moving, because wherever we've stopped moving, we're going to be, um, you know, lacking oxygenation and circulation, mm-hmm. so that's kind of how I helped myself make sense of this, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, so I know that it's very important to understand people's conditions and respect them, and I also tend to shy away from never do this, never do this. We can never do this because, you know, I just, I'm not willing to go there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love what you're saying. And Julie in particular uh, knows that that is uh, my adamant perspective as well is to, is. Uh, yeah. Not <laughs> yeah. And, and I, and I think that is like one of the things that, I mean, as a, as a new teacher, you know, that kind of was the thing I was most afraid of, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, is making someone flex and have them, like, maybe break. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, right. so it's, <laughs> you don't want to break anybody. 
Yeah, you don't want to break anybody, so you kind of err on, you know, maybe the other side too much, and Mm -hmm. just, you know, kind of getting that breakthrough as a new teacher of, you know, where can I find the ease in this body, and, and do it right, and trust my own judgment that I am that I'm seeing what I think I'm seeing and I'm making the right decision. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we did talk. Can I say one more thing? Yes, before please. Before we ask another question. Please, please. I, do, yes. I just want to follow up real briefly with this, which is Chantel and I have talked about this, so, I, so it's kind of a thread. Um, we're all, whether whether we're in the practitioner, I think Pam talked about, the, you know, she mentioned something about as a practitioner and then as a teacher, I think she's talking back and forth a little about her experience there. Um, we're all of us always on a continuum of development. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, we talk about working level or le- level of capability with regard to our students or some, you know, to know how far to push somebody or how much to support them and being able to recognize um, that level of capability so that we do things that are going to be beneficial to us and not harmful, um, and also for the mental part of it, so that we're not over overstraining the nervous system. Um, and then that changes, so that when you sort of go along for a while, and then you're, let's just say, you've mastered this, right? So then, so then you're ready to kind of slip into the next level, if you will. But then you're a beginner again. It's like when you start to tackle another level of complexity, you're actually a kind of a you have to take a beginning approach again. Mm-hmm. And so it's the same thing with us as teachers. Um, we we may feel very facile with our words and our cueing and our ability to modify and really see right through the method or what the, or the person's needs at a lesser level of complexity. And then as the movement patterns start to get more complex or what the person brings in, you know, what they present with is more complex then we kind of are thrown back into a more beginner state of mind as a teacher. Mm-hmm. And so that's really important to acknowledge that, you know, the more complicated things people come to us with, yes, definitely um, we have to, you know, we have to give ourselves permission to to back down for a while and, and have our and be unsure and yes. have to study some more and yeah so that and definitely the longer you, you've been teaching just the more people you've seen years after year after year you build confidence because because you've tried things and you know that um, that you can that you can experiment and you know that you don't have to just follow a, a firm set of protocol yeah. But in the beginning, you follow the protocol. Of course you do. Yes, of course you do. I think there are a lot of interesting things coming up. And one, I think, starting over, right? Starting again, uh, you know, that Buddhist perspective of beginner's mind, of approaching something uh, with, like, from a blank slate. I think that it's what happens when we become discerning. I think there are all of these moments where we decide we have a we have an aha we have an epiphany we have like a holy cow you know whether that's i mean it's very often happening from 
because of the exposure to a, a complex situation or a body in front of us and we're having to step back and really reorient and 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 be able to step away from uh, all the things that we know because the body is not responding in the way that we anticipate or um, you know hope uh, so I think that's a part of this process and then something that you said Deborah makes me think like because um, the next question really that w that we had kind of posed uh, in our earlier conversation uh, off <laughs> off camera hmm off recording is <laughs> is what what if anything can you can you identify as a catalyst for becoming more discerning like something you read a teacher you've been exposed to an idea a complementary method but i think it is also um what you said deborah about um uh what did you say natural human movement yeah, because don't, you know, I remember that's what they always said that it was. Yeah. So that's, to me, that's a catalyst, right? It's like, I've been teaching all this yeah. time and I'm questioning. I know that there's there's a question, right? And uh, you often hear it's like, it's not a, the answer. It's not about the answer that you get. It's about framing or posing the right question, asking the right question. And to me, I think that too is, that's the catalyst for becoming more discerning. It's like, what is what does that mean natural human movement what does that mean and how do i how do i move in that direction with with the method or the tools that i have at hand and i think that opens us up for greater discernment <clears throat> and it is also a call to start again to you know to be willing to start from the beginning to start fresh right we're having to change direction and perspective um and I think that's what has always drawn me to this work is that there's always, inevitably, there's always a question. There's always a question, right? It's not, it's not just one answer. So then the question for you ladies, for Julie and Pam would be, what kinds of catalysts have there been for triggering discernment, for triggering questioning, um, can you identify any of those? And and I'm going to ask a second part because I think this will probably take us maybe kind of full circle, which is, is what's your experience of yourself through this whole teaching journey of becoming a teacher to now, you know, and, and you know, we I think we're all just always becoming, you know, what we are constantly. But do you feel like, um, like what level of curiosity or discernment did you bring in, uh, did you come in with, and, and what has developed over time, potentially related to, you know, any number of catalysts? So I'm going to ask Julie if she'll, um, if she'll take that one first. Oh, yeah. I mean, for me, it's, it's so many things. I mean, I'm kind of like you, I guess. I just have this insatiable curiosity about everything and because it's also connected you know in Pilates I mean you know the, the the fascial system which you know I knew nothing about until I started um you know doing teacher training mm -hmm. um and um just and I would say that anatomy in general just having been introduced to anatomy on a much deeper level as a teacher 
and then finding that there were a lot of answers for me in my te- for my teaching in in learning the anatomy that mm-hmm. you know how do why do these bones you know work this way why how does this muscle move this bone it, you know it just became like wow there's you know I've been walking around in this body my whole life and I had no idea how it worked you know, and it's fascinating. It's mm-hmm. this incredible machine. And when I went to the family workshop in New York um, a couple of years ago, I one of the um, instructors was an orthopedic surgeon, and he talked about the fact that synovial fluid that he that it it doesn't feel like anything else, and that you know it's it's just the most slippery. Um, liquid that you know he said it's just if the human body produces this stuff and it's just this kind of magical stuff (laughs) that when you think about it lasts your whole life you know i mean you know what you can't buy an an appliance that lasts 100 years you know Mm -hmm. that you don't have to change the oil or something so you know it's just that i think i just had a much deeper understanding of how complex the body is and how all these things have to work together and and knowing how that complexity then made me want to find out more. And the more I find out, the more I realized how much I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's this endless circle um, that leads me down all these different paths. And and now, it, you know, now it's led me down this path to neuroplasticity and, you know, how does the brain, and working with um, this man who's a quadriplegic, you know, it's just been fascinating watching him progress. And, and then I would say the other other things are just, um, you know, I make it a point to go to lots of different studios and hear lots of different teachers, and I always take something away from mm-hmm. um, the cueing. You know, I'm often, like, thinking, wow, that was a great cue, and I, I suddenly feel that in a way that I haven't felt that before. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes what I hear is something that I think, wow, I'll never say that. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that's, and that's a learning experience, too. Mm-hmm. So, um, great. yeah, I did, I, just, yeah. Yeah, that's great. That. Perfect. It's perfect. Totally answers the question. I'm going to, uh, Deborah, if you want to, do you want to jump in for anything before Pam goes? No, except to just corroborate. I think a lot of the, it was very helpful to me when I finally wrapped my mind around. I'd studied anatomy so much, um, in college, anatomy, kinesiology, um, many courses. Somehow it never stuck. I even took that the clay building workshop mm-hmm. um, here in Boulder at the Boulder School of Massage when that guy first started building the clay on the skeleton and everything. Mm-hmm. And it would, you know, it was lots of fun and, and everything. But honestly, um, I have to give credit to the training I did with Eric Franklin for really helping turn me around in terms of, um, I don't know, it was timing and just the, the way the workshops were taught um, gave me a, a much, uh, it sort of gave me confidence to study the body mm-hmm. in a way that I hadn't had before. And I, and I also felt like a lot of the kind of questions around what am I seeing uh, changed and gave me confidence that I think is really very helpful to understand how the body works. Mm-hmm. Pam, we are anxiously awaiting uh, to, yeah. to hear what what you have to say about uh, curiosity and and um, catalysts for for questioning. 
just clarify the question one more time, Chantel, so I can yes, make sure so, I exactly. Right, right. So what what catalysts can you identify in your teaching that made you really think, oh, oh, that's like that's what that means. That it, like it clarifies an idea so that your teaching pivots or changes, your perspective changes, and you really start to um, manifest your own teaching uniqueness, right? Your own unique perspective rather than, right, that moves us away from just all the rote, um, repetitive framework that we've been given, which is what Deborah has pointed out is so critical in those early stages of learning, right? Mimicry is so critical. But if you can identify any specific catalysts or ideas that mm-hmm. have moved you forward into a different a different layer of your teaching? I think a couple, well, I'll, I'll be very specific, but um, initially I think one of the things is opposition. I've always been fascinated with opposition. And when I realized Kind of seeing how the push-pull or how one side of the body needs to stabilize while the other side moves or one part of the body needs to stabilize so that opposite part can move, um, that's when I started thinking, okay, there's something inside that I need to learn more about. And so then I started digging deeper through workshops and you know, figuring out how to apply this even to my own life and realizing that there, we have two different bodies, essentially, in one. I mean, and it, that's the thing that I always thought was interesting is, um, is the oppositional work that this, this movement um, can help bring us back to symmetry. I mean, ideally, mm-hmm. symmetry. Mm-hmm. Um, and the... What the other then? So then, moving on is, you know, seeing that and applying that not only just in my life but to the other lives that I interact with every day. That's probably one of the biggest things that has sort of pushed me and wanting to dig deeper. And then the under and then having to teach that or having to help somebody understand that. The other thing is, and I so appreciate Deborah saying this, and I and I never really thought about this, but the four stages of competence. I, I always think about that is, you know, that even as an instructor and as well as as the as the person who's getting who's receiving, you you both are kind of going through these levels of competency and I never really thought about that. And I and I think but to me I'm always fascinated how the brain has to organize itself in order to understand a movement and to, and then to apply it, you know, in that unconscious competence way. You know, mm-hmm. like the level that has to go with. So I like I, I love how the brain works, and that's the part where I am at right now. Is like, ooh, let me, let me. I need to figure out how this works, and how to, how to, how to increase my knowledge of that, so I, I can, you know, teach that. Mm-hmm. Um, because the neuroplasticity is is exactly what I'm fascinated about. What Julie was saying, and mm-hmm. I, it's, I think it is much deeper than just this movement. It's, 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 uh, it's just more the understanding of why we move. Um, mm-hmm. So. You know, and the, you know, I don't know if that's, and then the right brain, and the left brain, that's the, that's, I mean, there is opposition going on up there. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I don't, I think that that's kind that's of what great. helped 
might have sort of sparked my curiosity to continue mm-hmm. moving in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and the curiosity, right? The going deeper, um, mm-hmm. the the greater understanding. I think um, then is goes hand in hand with we we either the, the, requires us to be more discerning, right? We have we have kind of more bandwidth for 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 discerning because we have more information. We have, you know, we know that there's more to it than, um, just that basic, that basic framework. Um, what do you think, Deborah? What do you have? Any thoughts uh, so far? About, well, I mean, this is great. <laughs> it is great. Um, I'm just like, I have a whole page of notes on a piece of paper that I need for something else. But, um, <laughs> So there was one thing that there was one thing I think that was kind of an example of discernment that I was kind of curious about coming back around to, um, which is uh, this idea of placing the body right, uh, like arrange, oh, yeah. arranging the body and then moving, like this level of discernment where we start to think of like, um, do we always need to put the body in a position? and then move or like, what is that? What kind of priority does that, is that indicative of versus just move and let's see what happens. And then we'll adjust as we go. And what kind of priority is that indicative of? And what, what else I'll say is that I think when we talk about priorities in our teaching, what it leads us to discover or question is why we're teaching. And both of the ladies have, have touched on this in the beginning. And um, it is, is a pivotal part of the work that we're doing in the mentoring program, really understanding or clarifying for ourselves, you know, what motivates us to teach? Why are we teaching? What are we hoping to achieve? You know, what's our purpose? Uh, in our craft, in our vocation of teaching, um, which I think you're right, Deborah, is potentially part two of this conversation, which is essentially the macro view, that larger, you know, that larger intent. Um, but let's let's wrap up with just talking about this specific example of if you arrange the body first, and then get it to move, what's that like? Like what, what's that like? What's that about from, I'm curious, Deborah, to hear your, your point of view, because it sounded like you felt pretty strongly that they were different things. Well, I have a couple of thought lines. Um, I know that when I'm in the teacher training situation and I'm observing my students and their, you know, practice teaching with me, etc., I, really work hard to um, eliminate as much as possible the phrase, before you even move, (laughs) Mm -hmm. dot, 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 because that just somehow seems antithetical to me. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, people need guidance. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And, um, you know, so how much, how little, where, you know, you can't just, like, you know, you don't have to say, okay, lie down and go. Because that's not fair. You know, it's, it, this, uh, we are talking about, we're not talking about 
you know, expressive dance here. We're not <laughs> talking about um, improv. You know, we're not doing improv. Right. <laughs> we are teaching a form. Mm-hmm. And the form has uh, incredible beauty, beauty, benefit, logic. You know, again, I've spent many years discerning for myself what I think the logic of the method is. Mm-hmm. Because I had to have a point of view to teach it. So, um, so I think there's a distinction between, in, like, you can't box somebody into this alignment and then get them so uh, tense about whether they're doing it right. See, that's where we got to watch out. I think. Right. Enough, enough setup, you know, enough of what we call the nuts and bolts to get them beginning to be organized mm-hmm. and then try to get a, get a flow going. And then part of, you know, our task is to um, get more facile at teaching through the transitions so that we're actually modeling that these movement patterns that we teach are truly patterns. They're not exercise to exercise to exercise and that even within, let's say, the footwork, you know, there's a distinction. We're not doing 10 repetitions of the same movement that are philosophy is that each time you go, it's new. Mm-hmm. And so, but but people can't pay attention to that many things at the beginning. It's just mm-hmm. too much. So I think part of our job as the teacher is to help them hone in on a few thoughts, just enough to get going. And then as they get more and more familiar with the pattern, then we can layer in more information. It's not mm-hmm. helpful to overcorrect, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. We all know that. It just gets everybody all balled up. Mm-hmm. But I, so, um, I love the word arrange, though. I really do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's beautiful in a way, right? You arrange yourself. I think, too, of... Um, you know, words like gathering yourself up. And, you know, you have to come there. We have to arrive. We're actually, you know, you and I talked about this probably one of our very first podcasts, I think, Chantel, about mm. the whole lesson as a as a metaphor for having it, being able to have in our crazy world an experience of completion, like a beginning, a middle, and an end. Mm-hmm. You know, as, especially like, you know, we talked about it relative to having little kids and feeling like you never... You never, you never get, get your sentence finished. You know, your life is constantly being interrupted in all those ways that we that were interrupted and were, you know, we never feel that that completion, that resolution, you know, mm-hmm. and that a Pilates lesson can actually be a, um, a model of that for somebody's nervous system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think part of part of what we do as teachers is provide structure. Yeah, mm-hmm. of course. And there's that other thing where we get so hung up on setting it up and then, oh, wait a second, before you even move, yeah. <laughs> make sure you, la di da you know, right. that, 
that kind of to me exemplifies this icky thing that that we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so so it's interesting to me because uh you know we I think we can oscillate back and forth, right? Between um uh, uh, more set up or less set up and more kind of just let's 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 move and work into the flow and and let's see what the pattern is and let's correct and adjust and experiencing you know the pattern uh through movement because that's what ultimately we're taking with us right we're walking out of the studio we're getting in our car we're moving throughout the world mm-hmm. and, and each situation is a different is a different intention i mean this is why i think what you're saying like you said it brings it all back around and maybe it is more macro is our intention to get it right? Is our intention yes. to find comfortability in our body? Is our intention to realize that we hold our breath all the time? Is our intention to whatever? There's so many things that could be your intention that day that will guide you yes. as to how much instruction, how how much not instru- how much openness. Yes. You know? Yes. Yeah, because it does change our priorities, right? If we're very, uh, if we get stuck in these beginning stages of learning, if we, you know, if we relate it to the four levels of learning, you know, unconscious, uh, incompetence, et cetera, et cetera, uh, we can get, as teachers, I mean, you know, we can get stuck and then therefore get our students stuck in those, you know, really that second level of conscious incompetence where it's like the teacher dictating the setup because the priority is form, the priority is form, the priority is perfection, the pri- priority is like get the choreography right. And and I think to some degree we all get caught up in that a little bit um, at, at different stages in our teaching. And of course it's very, it varies greatly from person to person. But I think it's not, diffi- it's not difficult or uncommon to be very stuck in that, right? Like we set the exercise up. We we get them all arranged and aligned, and then, okay, now inhale and press out. Exhale and pull in. It's a very formulaic, right? Where where maybe even the unconscious priority is like get it right, set them up right, symmetry, alignment. Dare I say perfection? Although I don't know that any of us are really searching for that in the client, but maybe in ourselves we're searching for that, as opposed to a little less set up and a little more intention and priority on the experience of function informing form and the exploration of movement or any of the other, you know, thousands of, of things that we could put our intention on. And I think that's the result. Uh, let's see, is it the result of discernment or uh, I think being clear about our intention and priority is the result of discernment, which is the product of curiosity. Does that make sense to you guys? Can you send me that in an email? Yeah. So, <laughs> so it goes like this, right? So something is the catalyst for our curiosity, right? Something doesn't work. Something hurts a client, like like right, how they right. have pain. What's the motivation? Why aren't you just okay? Yeah. There's a question. Yeah. Right, and then yeah. the question gets us to go. Oh, I'm going to change my teaching, and I'm going to do this instead. Of, I'm going to do B instead of A. Right, that's discernment, and then our discernment leads us closer to. Oh, I'm going to choose B instead of A because I feel like this is more important than this. Right, that's pri- That's prioritizing. 
that's creating a, a, a priority or creating an intention. And then that process is infinite, right? That process just goes on and on and on. I think that also, though, you have to have something to compare and contrast in order to become discerning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you mean specifically working within... Well, I'm just thinking, like, how does one become discerning? you got to have Pam's opposition stuff. You know, you have to... It's like um, paying attention. Yeah, but I, I wonder. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not well, even sure right can now, I, can I don't think something? it's like an order. I don't know if it's like a perfect order. Yeah, yeah, right. No, of course not. Yeah. Yeah, of course not. Go ahead, Pam. Well, and that, I think about, like, life, right? We have morals and values, and we decide to do certain things because and based on those. So in a sense, in Pilates, we decide to do certain movements or we, or we teach a certain way or we believe a certain way because of what you were, what you were saying. Is that I think, and I don't want to say standards, but there, there has to be a spine to all this. Mm-hmm. You know, there has mm-hmm. to be a, re, a, a foundation of where this all comes and flourishes from. So if you have, you know, something that I would say, I don't like, like a law, you know, from that, okay, well then this is the reasons why we do all these certain things. And I, I just feel like you do have to have a base. You do have to have a spine. You do have to have something to come off of the reasons why we teach or why we do what we do. And I, and I, I think it ebbs and flows, um, but there's always going to be that standard. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why I, 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 I'm cautious about using that word. But I do know and just my, you know, just tiny little observation of kind of globally what's going on from a Pilates perspective is that I really think there is somewhat of a push and will always be this this willingness or this idea of having there's some kind of standardization because, I mean, that's, I mean, we, we want that. That's We want to be recognized for that for this work. And I think that's what Joseph Pilates tried to do a long time ago and it was sadly not recognized. Um, and Deborah, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I just feel like that, that it's been kind of missed because even physical therapists, people who go to formal education are, are complementary of our work. And that's why I like, this is real stuff. We, we have, we have this knowledge, we have this standard and it's, and it's, and it works, you know, and then we have a blank canvas that walks through our door every day and we have to be able to create something of that because of the way that person is moving or the way the person's feeling that day or that injury that they've had to deal with for the past 20 years of their life. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Well, I think you're talking about contrast. I think you're both talking about contrast, right? You have to have, you mm-hmm. have to have something to, to compare it to, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's like, there's a quote about a blind man will never know the darkness because that he has no experience of light. Like, there's no, mm-hmm. there's no mm-hmm. sense that, you know, right. that blindness is darkness because there's no oppositional experience. So mm-hmm. I think, of course, the, you know, uh, and again, I've used this, I've used this example uh, so frequently, I'm kind of tired of hearing myself say it, but as a writer, <laughs> we have a framework, we have rules, we have grammar, we have punctuation, we have, you know, you have to work within the rules for a very, very long time until you start to see that the rules don't facilitate 
the the emotion or the or the message right that you're you're trying to get across and so you break the rules so i think maybe that's kind of what we're talking about and i think this is definitely leads us into like we need to we need to have a part 2 so <laughs> we need to have part 2 and and we all we all need to to um you know honor each other's time and and i i want to do that we're we're a little long um but such a valuable and beautiful sweet conversation and i just really really appreciate you both Pam and Julie for spending the time with us and Deborah of course you always such insightful wisdom i like having i like i like having the other people we Yes, it's It's great. (laughs) It's great. So hopefully if you're listening to this podcast, you'll be inspired to reach out to myself or to Deborah and, uh, and get yourself on the other end of this conversation. So, um, yeah, I think ladies, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, thank you again so much for spending some time with us and, um, we will talk to everybody next time around. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Julie. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, thanks, Deborah. <laughs> thanks, Pam. All right. Good night, y'all. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> Good night.